Thank you for joining me on this first episode of Politics, Politics, Politics. My name is Johanna Kristen Elrup. I am a candidate for U.S. Congress for this District 2, New York. In this podcast, I'm going to discuss with you some of the outrageous and simply jaw-dropping events taking place with this administration. Every time I think that it can't possibly get worse. Trump just stumps me. Today was the vote to acquit Donald Trump on the two acts of impeachment against him, abuse of power, which goes without saying he absolutely did, when he withheld the federally appropriated funds for Ukraine and only gave the money to Ukraine once the whistleblower reported his conversation with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, when Trump insisted on having a quid pro quo of an investigation, just a sham investigation, of former Vice President Joseph Biden. In a Burisma fraud scenario, there was never any fraud. Vice President Biden at the time was one of several international players who requested that the heads of Burisma be fired for incompetence, corruption, and fraud. His son began working there long afterwards. It has been, as far as I know of, investigated, and there was no corruption that took place. The GOP insists on mentioning repeatedly the fact that um, Hunter Biden received such a large paycheck, while they blatantly overlook the fact that they are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars every quarter to rent the hotel or the restaurants of the president. The president they so blindly support is taking home hundreds of thousands of dollars, according to the FEC filing, to the argument against Hunter Biden and Joseph Biden, whatever your political affiliations are. Uh, there isn't any fraud or corruption with regards to Hunter Biden's job. So now that they have acquitted him of abuse of power and um, obstruction of Congress, which he also did. He did it on Twitter. He did it publicly. He, and he did it repeatedly. He forbade all of his advisors to testify in front of the House. He forbade them from responding to subpoenas. Subpoenas were responded to against his directive. They came forward, the White House came forward and said that afterwards that they weren't allowed to have any witnesses, which was just blatantly untrue. They were given the time, the subpoenas were given out, and they just ignored all of it. Donald Trump actually tweeted himself, let's just get this over with in the House so that he could get a quote-unquote fair trial in the Senate. It was just railroaded through. And supposedly, by some accounts, Senator Collins of Maine had said, has said that she hopes that Donald Trump was scared enough that he has learned his lesson. I don't think that they understand who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump never expected to be removed from office by Senate trial. Why? Because McConnell publicly stated that the Senate and the White House were going to be perfectly aligned in every manner during the Senate trial. McConnell was waiting for Pelosi to hand over the articles of impeachment. And McConnell publicly stated again that you wouldn't be able to see daylight between the Senate and the White House. 
So any concept on the part of the senators who, against their better moral fiber, voted not guilty in the trial, that somehow he, Donald Trump would have been afraid enough that he would come to his senses and stop the bad behavior, that's never going to happen. What they did do was give him complete free reign and immunity. As far as he was concerned, he was exonerated. This has gotten to be um, surreal. This is beyond surreal. What is taking place in the White House and in our executive branch and in the Senate is surreal. That anyone would have told me five years ago that there would be an almost complete breakdown in the separation of powers in this country. That the Chief Justice would state that he is not going to decide policy with regards to an impeachment trial which really flies in the face of both precedent and how the Constitution outlines the, the procedure, and then that the Senate would completely separate itself from the House and align itself with the executive branch, and that the executive branch it would state that the House has no saying, no say or, or any bearing on the separation of powers and its oversight capacity for uh, the executive branch. The complete disrespect for the three separate branches of, of our government is surreal. If it weren't for an overwhelming feeling of hope for this upcoming election in 2020, it would be terrifying. Then, of course, there's McConnell's inability to allow the House bill to secure our elections to even be voted on in the Senate. If this were happening in the Italy of Mussolini, you would check it off. Yes, that fits. If this were happening in 1933 when Hitler took power from Hindenburg, you would check. Uh, that fits. If this were happening when Lenin, during the Russian Revolution of 1911, took over, you would check the box. Yes, this fits. Erdogan, Assad, Putin. Any of those, you would just check the box. Yeah, this fits. The United States, this doesn't fit. This just does not fit. Right now, this evening, which um, this evening is February 5th, Wednesday, the date of the vote on the impe Senate impeachment trial. And let me reiterate, Trump is impeached on two counts. Forever and ever and ever the House impeached Donald Trump. He is only the third president ever to be impeached. That's it. Right now, anti-Trump protesters are rallying across the nation. It's called Reject the Cover-Up. As of this podcast recording, um, roughly 45 states are involved and the District of Columbia. So there's hope. There's always, always hope. Now, many of you that listened to his um, Donald Trump's State of the Union address last night were amazed at the overwhelming, and even for him, he outdid himself in the number of untruths, and I'm being polite, that he dished out to the attendees and listeners last night. You were probably as shocked as everybody else was that the Presidential Medal of Freedom given to such recipients as Rosa Parks, Neil Armstrong, Georgia O'Keeffe, was given to Rush Limbaugh. If anything screams that this president only uses the office for himself. It was that one simple gesture. 
Rush Limbaugh is an unabashed supporter of Donald Trump. Rush Limbaugh has never done anything to advance the American dream. Rush Limbaugh has never done anything to advance the ideals that we treasure as a nation. Rush Limbaugh has made money from spewing hate and turning American upon American. It's indicative of everything that encompasses the Trump presidency, which was not our design, by the way. Do not forget that 13 of our intelligence agencies stated that it was the Russians that co had a coordinated effort to put Donald Trump in the White House that actively sabotaged Hillary Clinton. And three investigations later, we can honestly and proudly state that Hillary Clinton did nothing illegal and nothing wrong with her private server or her emails. So with regards to Donald Trump, he, one of the other things that he did during his State of the Union address was take credit for the economy. It's his economy. It's his, it's his, it's his, it's his, it's his. I always get the mental image of Daffy Duck jumping up and down on the pile of gold, uh, on uh, Bugs Bunny on the pile of gold saying, mine, 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 mine. That's Donald Trump. It's all his. So here we go. This administration has given more farm subsidies than any other administration for over 14 years. He has given out higher farm subsidies than Barack Obama had to after the greatest recession we've had since 1929. There's nothing supposedly wrong with our economy. This is because of his trade tariff war. Our farmers are suffering. Our dairy farmers are going out of business. Our corn farmers are suffering. According to NPR, the USDA announced that $16 billion in trade-related aid would be given to farmers in 2019. That was on top of the $12 billion that was given in 2018. So in two years, $28 billion was given to our farmers because of Donald Trump's tariff war with China and other countries. Since Donald Trump started this tariff war, a total of $22.42 billion has been given to our farmers to keep them solvent. And $14 billion of that money, so two-thirds of that money, was to offset the effects of Donald Trump's trade war. He is hurting our economy. It is because of Obama's financial acuity that our economy is still standing. Our economy as it stands now is as powerful as it is and as successful as it is predominantly because of consumers. Consumers are buying like crazy. Manufacturing is teetering. Our curve yield, and a quick explanation on that, the U.S. Treasury has two bond yields. There's one short term, five years and plus, that when investors buy that, they're showing a confidence in short-term investing in short-term um, economic future, if you can use that term. Then there's the long-term bonds, 10 years and beyond. That shows that investors have confidence in the American economy in the long run. September of 2019, the those two curves, the short-term curve and the long-term curve, inverted. So the long-term bond yields fell below short-term yields. So investor confidence in the future of the economy is suffering. 
Now, what is, uh, you might say, well, okay, so maybe curves are curvy, so they may curve and curve back and forth and whatever. What has this really got to do with the price of tea in China? And that's a joke. Here is why that's important. That is important because every single time that that inversion takes place, that the long-term bond yields fall below short-term bond yields, so in other words, the, the investor confidence in a law, our long-term projection for our economy falls short, we have a major recession every single time. From 1969 for the past 50 years, it has never been wrong. And the longer the time period from when it inverts to when we get a recession, the worse the recession. Analysts have been predicting a major recession at the end of 2019 to 2020 since Trump took office and especially since he started his tariff war. It happened in September of 2019. And the issue again is that when you take that and you combine it with the fact that it is consumer spending, not manufacturing and not the sales and service industry, but it's consumer directly, consumer spending that is buoying our economy. The farm subsidies, two-thirds of which have to be compensated for simply because of his tariffs, and they are higher now than they have been in 14, 15 years. There's also been reports of even though job growth is growing, it's growing at a slower rate. Now, a true leader, a true negotiator, a true deal maker, a real president would realize that instead of consistently asking the Fed to hold off on raising interest rates, that instead of doing that, that when economic specialists and economic forecasters see that the wheel is teetering, a real leader would start to buoy the economy to prevent that teeter. When you see all the warning signs, all the historically accurate warning signs that the wheel is starting to go a little, it's starting to wobble just a bit, then you start to buoy the economy again to make sure it goes back on track, that the economy tightens back up again, and it continues on its prosperous roll. A real leader, for example, would start to enact stimulus measures, given what we know as a fact about global climate change, do something like Obama did. Start a stimulus packaging. If you're going to blow the economy up the way Donald Trump has, he has a, what he has claimed is a fantastic economy of only his own making, as he stated over and over again in the State of the Union address, like he inherited some rotten economy. He inherited an economy that's been growing for 10 years. It was growing at the time that he got it from 2009. So it was growing steadily for eight years. The, the jobs growth rate that Donald Trump has now is almost identical to what Obama had when he left office. And Obama saved us from the worst recession since 1929. So he got it up and running, got all the cogs rolling, got everything, and this engine is just keep going. That's it. So Donald Trump at this point should be using aggressive stimulus measures. He should be stimulating green energy the way Obama did. Um, giving tax incentives for solar energy, solar research, alternate and sustainable fuels research. He should be 
increasing the tax on the rich and reducing it on the middle class and eliminating it for the poor. He should be enacting measures to strengthen the dollar internationally by reducing or halting completely this tariff war and instead along the lines of NAFTA too and possibly the TPP getting globally our partners together and working out how we can best strengthen the dollar on the international market for the future um discussing with our economic specialists how this year uh just as a background this year Bitcoin is supposed to be doing its every four-year halving measure that uh, was apparently designed into the system to reduce inflation and to reduce false elevations in the value of the cryptocurrency. So what measures do we need in the United States to buoy our dollar against what outcomes Bitcoin's halving, it's called halving as in halving, halving might have on an international scale. There are quite a few businesses and uh, countries that have been utilizing Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in foreign exchange um, and just in, in, um, in commercial transactions. So when that halving takes place and then it buoys back up again afterwards, how will that affect our dollar right now, given the fact that these, um, that the bond yield has inverted, that our jobs growth is slightly less than it projections expected it to be, that there are these teetering measures that we have, Donald Trump's administration has exploded our debt. We are in more debt now than we have been per capita in the history of the United States. And we have according to Trump's own words, a healthy, strong economy. There are signs of illness in the system. Why isn't he addressing that? Why isn't he protecting our economy from another collapse? It's possible. He can do it if he takes the blinders off and stops pretending like he's conducting the orchestra during a football game. He can do this stops pretending to be some sort of a financial megalodon, which he is not. These are things that need to be done to make sure that we guarantee our economy for the next at least 10 years. And it's possible. It's very easily, I mean, it, it, is it easily done? Maybe not. But is it easy to get at least started on it and put it on the table to get financial advisors to take a look at it. What do we do now? What is the next step when we see these teetering measures? He did enact yet another travel ban. However, as he spews the inclusionary aspect of his delusion, which is what it really is, uh, during his State of the Union address and talks about how open and free this country is under his administration. Um, this is hard on the heels of yet another six countries that he has added to his list of travel restrictions. And what is blatantly obvious is that he's punishing the victims. He is punishing the Muslim minority, the Rohingya in Myanmar, who are desperately fleeing for their lives, who have been slaughtered. They've been massacred. He's, he's preventing us from helping them. Nigeria, Africa's most populous nation, who were, Nigerians were, 
one of the first nations to be able to stop the Ebola virus during the 2014 outbreak. He's preventing them from coming in. Uh, also three other African countries, Etruria, the Sudan, and Tanzania, and Kazakhstan. Now, what is blatantly obvious is that they are substantially Muslim, and this just gets added to the other seven that were on the travel list. Now, there's one thing that needs to be mentioned here. We, the United States, we have one of the strictest vetting policies for our immigration. It's much, much harder to get into this country than people are commonly led to believe. The thing is, we have a, a very large number of people that come into this country every single year. Almost all of us can claim immigrant status from the past hundred years. According to Pew Research, between just 1965 and 2015, so just a 50-year span, new immigrants, their children, and their grandchildren accounted for 55% of U.S. population growth. Accounted for 55% of U.S. population growth. Those same people added 72 million to the nation's population as it grew from 193 million in 1965 to 324 million in 2015. We are a nation of immigrants. We have always been a nation of immigrants. This is an undeniable fact. Yet Donald Trump doesn't seem to like immigrants. Or is it just immigrants of a certain color or a certain religion that he doesn't understand? It's possible. Because, you see, I think that to tell me a New Yorker or any New Yorker or anybody from Pennsylvania or anybody from um, who worked in the Pentagon or basically anybody in the United States that his behavior towards Muslims comes from September 11th is a mockery. It is quite honestly a mockery. And as evidence, I will state what Donald Trump did after Erdogan called him and he pulled out our troops and allowed Turkish troops to go in and attack the Kurds who were American allies against ISIS forces, and they have been since September 11th. Donald Trump forgot September 11th. Donald Trump forgot the over 2,500 people that died that day and the thousands of first responders that have died since. We forgot about them all. All he cared about was that Erdogan called and said that he needed to get in there. And Donald Trump pulled out our forces. So his dislike for Islam is not based on September 11th. His predilection for chauvinistic and racist behavior and comments is not because of September 11th. His travel ban is because he is able to stop groups of people that he doesn't understand, both by closing us off from the rest of the world and blocking them entry. Donald Trump's behavior is not American. November 2020 is a day that will echo through the halls of history as no such day has done since December 7, 1941. It is a day that we get to take back our country. It is a day that we get to have a separation of church and state. 
It is the day that we get to call back our executive branch, our congressional branch, and our judiciary branch, and have them check and balance one another the way they were supposed to. It is a day when we, the people, will be able to once again engage in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in our democratic country, where there isn't an oligarchic despot who cowtails and bows to other oligarchs in hopes of being acknowledged by them, who doesn't use our taxpayer money to fund his own wallet and his own bank accounts. This is a man who took money from his charities in order to fund his own personal needs. He never belonged in the White House. He never did, which is why he never came close to winning the popular vote. It was gerrymandering that got him into the White House. It was social media manipulation by foreign actors it was extremism. It was chauvinism. It was the misogynistic treatment of women, of a female candidate. All of the accusations against Hillary Clinton, all of the accusations against Hillary Clinton have been proven as false now as they were when they were being levied against her. So now what do we do? We go out and vote. November 2020, we go out and vote on Election Day. We vote blue. That is what we do. We take back our country. We take it out of the hands of the new world order that is unfolding itself in front of our very eyes and stealing our governance out from under us. But we have to get out and vote. Historically, the Republican Party wins when there is a low voter turnout. So we have to make sure that he is replaced and that he is only a one-term president and from this moment on, he is a lame duck. Well, I hope that you will join me on the next episode of this podcast. We will be discussing more issues that need to be addressed. For example, climate change. This isn't the start of climate change. There is an old idiom that once you see it, it's too late. I don't believe it's too late. But in the 70s, climate change was identified. It was called then, as you've heard Donald Trump repeat a hundred times, global warming. Because for lack of a better word at the time, that was exactly what it was predicting. And to be quite honest with you, that is the end result. An overwhelming global warming pattern that is first brought on by climate change. The climate change aspect of it for decades now. It's kind of like that saying that um, you can't see England because you're stuck in Trafalgar Square. You can't see the woods for the trees. We're in it, and we've been in it for decades. But there is always hope that we, as the human race, can finally learn to clean up after ourselves. Instead of always sucking out all of the nutrients from this little rock that we are whirling around the solar system with, that we will start to give back and clean up after ourselves. We'll discuss that in the next podcast. Uh, we'll also be covering some new developments in gun legislation and regulation. 
We'll go into travel, the travel ban some more. And of course, the Trump administration is always a hotbed of new topics. This podcast itself was supposed to cover um, the coronavirus and federal response. That's in my newsletter. But because of the State of the Union address, uh, it was preempted to this topic instead. You know, we're going to get through this administration. We will. We're going to get our democracy back. And thank you for joining me. November 3rd, 2020. That is the day. And it's only nine more months. Tick-tock, tick-tock. We'll get to the end of this. We'll do it together. We'll get to it. 